Today's Bible reading is coming from Psalm 34. Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us, let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants, and no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. Thanks, sweetie. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we want to thank you for your word and pray that you might use your word to speak to us, that we might be people who live lives that please you and that assist and help one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 34, the Lord is good. And everybody said? All the time, God is good. Psalm 34. This psalm, like about 13 psalms, 13 or 14 of the psalms, has a little inscription at the top of it, which I meant to put at the bottom of that screen, which re references it to the history of David's life, an event that happened in his life. And there's about three or four of the psalms uh, that he wrote when he was fleeing from Saul, and that's certainly this context, because the little inscription at the top of Psalm 34 says that this happened when um, David pretended to be a madman, pretended to be insane in front of King Achish, who was uh, the king of Gath, one of the Philistine kings that David had fled to. In David's life, he has Saul as the king, but has rebelled, disobeyed God, and so God has rejected him as king and has anointed David, but all of that is secret. And in their relationship, which used to be close, but then Saul became jealous and then started to try to kill David, and David fled for his life. And it's in the process of that that he fled, that he, David found himself finally uh, by himself, had gone to a town called Nob, where he found the high priest and 
begged for food because he was by himself and he was hungry and he eventually talks the high priest into giving the showbread out of the tabernacle and all of that happened. But the high priest also had in his possession the sword of Goliath, who, uh, which the high priest gave to David, returned it to him. So now here is David with the sword of Goliath, who is from the city or the town of Gath on the coast where the Philistines were. And now David flees and he flees from Israel out of Israelite territory into the land of the Philistines because he sort of figured that he would be safe there. He could seek asylum and Saul wouldn't dare enter the land of the Philistines. And David found himself in the city of Gath. They recognised him. They knew the songs that people used to sing about him. Saul has slain his thousands. This man, David, has slain tens of thousands. And so they were certainly aware of and jealous of him. And then when they saw the sword... That would have been extra offensive to the people of Gath. And so then the Bible says that David, in fact, feared for his life and the servants brought him to the king, King Akish, and David pretended, you know, he started dribbling and saliva running down his mouth and he started doodling on the walls of the temple or the gates and uh, pretended to be an insane person. Uh, and Akish basically dismisses him and said, oh, well, I've got enough insane people in my kingdom already. I don't need any more and get out. And David flees. And it's in response to that that he constructs this psalm. And it's a reflection on what he learnt, what he remembered, and particularly what he resolved that he would do. So it's a great psalm for us. And for many people, it is one of their favourites. Psalm 34 has two parts, verses 1 to 10, verses 11 to 22. In the first one, it's all about his, the song that he sang, the praise that he brought to God and some of the things that he learnt. The second half is a sermon, a song and a sermon. It's the teaching that he wants to give to others that what he learnt, he wants others to learn. Or if you like, the first half of the psalm is all about how God is good and the second half of the psalm is about how God works in our world, how God governs the world. That's sort of the outline that we'll follow here this morning. Listen for what God wants to say to you and challenge you about. Firstly, verses 1 to 3 in the first section, the song, the praise that he brings. This is what David resolved. I will extol the Lord at all times. I will pray, uh, his praise will always be on my lips. I'll glory in the Lord. The afflicted will hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let's do this together. Let us exalt his name together. He was resolved that on every single occasion, every day, regardless of life circumstances, he was going to be a person who praised the Lord. That's easy to read and easy to say, but hard to do. It's easy to praise God in the good times, but what do you do in the tough times when things are difficult, when you're tired, when you're hurt, when you're sore, when you're sick, when you're stressed? Well, David's saying, he has resolved that regardless of the circumstances of life that I find my in, I am going to focus on God and honour him and praise him. There's a resolution for you. And David pretty much carried that out in his life. Many of the Psalms, in fact, nearly all of the Psalms that he composes, you'll find him, he certainly loses it and he certainly pours out his heart and he gets cranky and angry, but he always resolves it by the end of the Psalm in trusting in God. He brings himself back to that Godward focus, that God is good and that God governs the world and he's in control of my life. Even though I'm not happy right now, God is still in control and that brings me 
great joy. One commentator said, David may have made a foolish decision to go to Garth, but he was not so foolish as to neglect the praise of him who was God over all. Another commentator says, he may have been hiding in a cave when he left Garth and he fled the land of the Philistines, he went to the cave of Adullam, which is where he probably composed this psalm. He's there by himself. He may have been hiding in a cave, but his heart was hiding in the Lord. David's resolution, no matter what happens to me, I will bless the Lord and praise his name at all times. Back in the 1970s, when I became a Christian, there was this movement that was very popular, particularly amongst Pentecostal churches. If I remember the guy's name correctly, it was Carruthers. I can't remember his first name. Does anybody here remember this? He wrote several books which became very popular. Um, I think he was American, I'm not sure. Um, but he was certainly Pentecostal. And he basically said, whatever happens in life, praise the Lord. You bang, you're banging a nail in and you hit your thumb up. What do you say? Ouch, no. Praise the Lord. Something bad happens, you have a car accident. What do you say? Praise the Lord. You just got fired from your job. What do you say? Praise the Lord. And most people went, that's a little bit unrealistic, isn't it? And everybody here says, Amen. But there is a truth in it, that you are turning your mental attitude towards God is in control. Though I've just hit my thumb, though I've just had a car accident, God is still with me in this. I need not despair. I need not lose hope. That's what he was. He, he was an extremist of sort of almost formulaically saying that if you have a positive mental attitude and you confess positive things, you praise God then that'll attract God's blessing towards you. It was a little bit manipulative, and that's why um, it fell out of sorts. But here is David saying a truth. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is something we need to learn and to bring into our life. Perhaps that's something you need to appropriate. The New Testament says it as, give thanks to God in all circumstances. Give thanks to God. All circumstances. Easy to do when things go well. Easy to do when God answers your prayer. Hard to do when God is delaying it or he's slow or it's difficult or he doesn't do what you want him to do. Do you need to resolve to do that? There's a challenge of growth for us. I'm not at that point in my spiritual journey, but David had reached that point in his walk with God. Romans 8.28, we all know. <clears throat> you know, for God is at work. He works all things together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. God is at work. Even in the midst of the bad stuff, he's taken that and he's going to use it for good. In Genesis chapter 42, verse 36, this is Jacob. And Jacob's back in the land of Canaan with some of his, with um, Benjamin and with some of his sons who have returned from Egypt, having seen Joseph. And Jacob basically is whinging and he says... Joseph has gone from me and this son has gone from me. And, and he says in verse, at the end of this verse, everything is against me. I think I'll go and eat worms. That's not in the Bible, but I put that bit in. He just felt everything is against me. You know what was happening in Egypt while he was feeling everything was against him? Joseph was ascending to the throne. God was in control. It wasn't going great for him. He really felt down and out but God was sovereign and God was working his purposes out. That's the perspective David has and that's the one that we need to get as well. Well, that's what David resolved. What did he remember? Verses four to seven, he repeats 
his experience of what he just had in the land of the Philistine in Gath. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears, all my fears. Do you have any fears? Do you need to be bringing those to God to be delivered from them? Those who look to him are radiant, their faces are never covered with shame. We always feel more at peace and more comforted and more relaxed when we are dependent upon God, when we experience God's deliverance. This poor man, and he was a poor man because he had nothing. He's got the sword of Goliath, but he didn't have enough food with him or anything. And he was by himself. He had no friends or anybody with him at this stage. They were to come. But by at the moment, he was a poor man. And in one sense, all of us are poor, certainly spiritually poor. But the Lord heard him, saved him out of all of his troubles Delivered me from my fears and now from my troubles. This is beautiful. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. The angel of the Lord. There are angels in this world. And the angel of the Lord often in scripture is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. What's interesting in this psalm, in Psalm 34, in the very next verse, the angel of the Lord gets a mention too. Here, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And remember, it was only one angel who attacked the army of the Assyrians, Syrians or the Assyrians, and 185,000 people, soldiers, died that night. One angel. 185,000 people died. They're incredibly powerful servants. And the scriptures teach us that the angels have been sent by God to serve us, to protect us, to watch over us. They are God's ministers to us, amazing. Far more goes on in this world than we are aware of. The very next psalm says the angel of the Lord, may the wicked be like chaff before the wind and the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. The angel of the Lord protects God's people, but he pursues and drives away those who are not God's people. God's angels working his purposes out in the world. You notice there are two groups, those who follow God and those who don't. You can change camps. You can move from being opposed to God and joining God's camps by all means. But the angel of the Lord is a person at work. Nor is David saying that because God is sovereign and God is at work, therefore we never have any trouble. In this psalm, he talks about deliverance and he does it four times. Verse four, delivered from my fears, Verse 7, the angel of the Lord delivers me, generally. And verse, seven, uh, verse 17 and 19, it's he delivers me from our troubles, fears and troubles. David is not saying the righteous person never has those things because he says in 19, the righteous person may have many troubles. We are not promised sail a life of ease. We're not promised a trouble-free life. That's not in the scriptures. Why? Well, because we live in a fallen world and because we're sinful creatures. We age, we get sick, accidents happen. Secondly, there's also a spiritual enemy, Satan and his demons are in our world. Thirdly, God also uses these difficulties, troubles and trials, sufferings and afflictions in our lives to grow us. I haven't got the exact quote, but C.S. Lewis says something like, doesn't he, that God whispers to us in our conscience. He speaks to us in our life, in our circumstances or situations. And he shouts to us in our pain. 
God whispers to us in our conscience. When you see something of beauty, the sunset, and you admire it, then God is whispering, I did that. So it's praise and honour him. Or he's trying, don't do that. Don't go there. He uses your conscience. Or he speaks to you in life situations. Or he really tries to get your attention in pain. The righteous person may have many troubles, and I'm not sure where you're at if you've got fears or if you have troubles here this morning or at home with whatever's going on for you. But the promise is, if you align yourself with God and seek to seek his face and pursue him, then he will deliver you. Out of the trouble immediately? No, but eventually. Ultimately, of course, he'll take you home to glory. But he could very well deliver you temporarily, even in this life. So that's what David resolved, that's what he remembered. What did David realise? David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. Give God a try. Sometimes you can't know something until you taste it. Young kids, when they look at food, they look at it. And if they don't know it, they don't like it. Some mothers and fathers are very creative. I don't like sweet potato. So my granddaughter gets um, sweet potato pancakes. She likes pancakes. <laughs> but you give her sweet potato, don't like it. Put the sweet potato in for a pancake, she likes it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste it is experience him, try it. And when you do, then you will discover something. You will see that he is good. Many of us talk about God's goodness secondhand. David is inviting us for a first-hand experience to try him out. Taste and see, take a sample, take a risk. You might want one scoop, you might want double, you might want a triple scoop. Charles Spurgeon used to say, that most of us are wading ankle deep in the ocean of God's grace and goodness. What we need to do is to dive in and to swim because there is an ocean depth of his goodness and grace towards us. And when we taste something good, what do you normally do? <coughs> when you have, yep, you want more, and you say, mmm, that's good. So too spiritually. When you taste and see that God is good, you will testify, oh, that's good. And you'll want more. You want more of God, more of God's goodness, more of what he's doing in your life. The reality is, you see, that we can look at something that is good. We can look at it and feel that, and, but never actually taste it. I like cookbooks. We've had to prune them because I have too many. And, but I flip through them, and I'm a sucker. If I go to Coles or Woolworths, I get their magazines as well because they have recipes and pictures in it. And you flip through it, and you look at a picture, and you go, that looks nice. I'm going to try that. Well, so some people look but never try. Some people come to church and you observe, but you never get to the point of actually taking the risk to trust God, to cast your cares and your fears on him to see, taste and see, experience him firsthand. That's what David is trying to say to us 
in this psalm. And then he goes on, why? Well, he says, fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lines may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Do you lack something? Well, it's either because it's not good for you or it's because you need to either fear God or seek God for it. It could very well be God does do that with us. He sometimes withholds his blessing because he's waiting for us to ask. He's waiting for us to develop our relationship with him, to rely upon him. We know this stuff. That's not the point. Are we doing this stuff? Do we have this intimate relationship with God where we, because we know him and love him, because we have experienced his goodness, are we going deeper in our reliance on him and not relying on ourselves like David did when he went to Gath, when he fled from Saul, he was relying on himself, on his own cunning, on his own abilities, made a dumb decision. But God didn't abandon him. God was with him and delivered him even there. Notice he begins with... um, Fear the Lord. Those who fear him like nothing. When the scriptures talk about fear, and the Psalms certainly do, it's not a negative, scared of, frightened of, trembling in fear. It's not, that's not the response that God is looking for. It's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden, that when they ate the fruit of the tree, they then realised that they had done the wrong thing and they went and hid and God comes, where are you? And Adam comes out. And Adam says, I heard you walking in the cool of the day and I was afraid. That's not the fear that God is looking for. The fear God is looking for is one in our English word which is understood to be like respect or reverence. It's an attitude, a feeling that I don't want to displease him. I don't want to uh, upset him. I want to please him. It's, that's what the fear of the Lord means. And that's how the scriptures talk about uh, Whoops, come back to that. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. How do you get to know God? Fear him, respect him. In chapter 8, verse 13, fearing God, it means that I will hate evil, pride and arrogance. I'll hate all evil behaviour, the wrong stuff. If I'm, I'm wanting to please God and I'm not wanting to do the bad stuff. Or chapter 9, verse 10 in Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Which is interesting when you compare 1, 7 and 9, 10. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. What's wisdom? It's knowledge applied. It's know-how. The fear of the Lord is knowledge. I know God and I know what he wants me to do. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I know how to do it and to work it out in my life. All that begins with an attitude of respect towards God, of wanting to please and to honour him. And it comes even into the New Testament. Acts 9.31 has an interesting coupling where the church um, continued to grow and walk in the fear of God and in the comfort or the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. The fear of God and the comfort, the encouragement of the Holy Spirit together. Respecting him deeply, not wanting to displease him. And Hebrews 12, 28 and 29, the last couple of verses of Hebrews 12 talks about reverence and awe. It's associated with um, thanksgiving and acceptable worship. That there is this deep heartfelt love and respect and reverence for and awe of him. 
It's not to treat him lightly. So let me go backwards. What did David discover? He discovered that God is a God who protects and God is a God who provides. That's what he gives us in the first half of this psalm. That's the song that he sings about. He invites us to seek God, to experience God, to fear and love and respect him and to rely on him. How's that for you? It's what God wants for you too. Second half, God governs our lives. Come my children, listen to me, David says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It's something you can learn. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days? Who wants to live long and who wants to live well? Nobody. Just raise your hand if you want to live long and you want to live well. You want to have a good life. Oh, look at the hands now. David tells us how. Look at this. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from lies. Watch what you say and how you say it. Don't say bad things and speak the truth. That'll help you live long and have a good life. It'll deliver you from all sorts of situations and issues. Turn from evil. Evil will surround you, but what you have to do is when you're confronted with it is turn from it. You will be tempted, turn from it. That's a choice. You wanna live long, wanna have a long life, good life, turn from evil and, don't twiddle your thumbs, do good things. You wanna have a good life, do good. God is good, taste and see that he is good. And if you do, then you will do good. Seek peace. Seek peace in your relationships and in fact, pursue it. As much as it lies within you, live at peace with all people. There's David's formula for the person who is righteous, the person who fears God. And the outward manifestation of that is a life which is satisfying. Not trouble free, but still deeply satisfying. Why? Well, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. He's watching. His ears are attentive to your cry. God's listening if you belong to him. But the face of the Lord against those who do evil. Why? Because he intends to blot their name out from the earth. He intends to remove the wicked, the evil, the rebels against him. And he will. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and there'll be no sin, no evil. God will remove them. That's what he's in the process of doing. But I love that expression. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. All you've got to do is ask, talk to him. doesn't mean you get your own way, you know that. But it does mean that he answers you. And you've heard me say this before. How does God answer you? Three out of four times, three out of four times he'll say yes. He does not always say yes. Just like as a parent, you do not always say yes to your child. Sometimes no is the right answer. He's all wise, he's good, he's all loving. He intends what's best for you and what you're asking for is not the best. So the answer is no. But three times he'll say, definitely, yes, you can have that. That'll be great. I'm going to bless you with what you're requesting. Secondly, yes, you can have it, but it's going to be a little bit different. Yes, I'm going to give you a new car. I know you need a new car. No, you're not going to get um, the BMW. You're going to have to settle for name your vehicle. Because God knows that the BMW is not good for you. 
Who has a BMW? <laughs> Might be good for you. So definitely, differently, or yes, you can have it, but it's delayed. Not yet. Just need to wait. Timing's not right. It'll be good for you and you can have exactly what you're asking for, but it won't be now. It'll be coming later at the right time. And sometimes God says, no, it's denied. He is a God who is listening to you. And James says, you have not because you... You didn't ask. All you've got to do is ask. Then David goes on. Notice, as I said before, this implies there are two groups in humankind, two groups in people. There are those who talk to God, follow God, love God, fear God, tasted that God is good and they want a relationship with him. Not perfectly, but they're in that group. I hope you're in that group. And then there are people who turn their backs on God. They're not interested in God. They don't talk to God. They don't respect God. They don't follow God. They do their own thing. They pursue evil and do it their own way. Two sorts of people. So there are two laws that operate in our world, the law of the weasel and the law of the waves. The law of the weasel, the story is told of a preacher who once observed a whole lot of rabbits who ran out of a forest, out of a bushland somewhere, and in sheer terror, just fleeing. And the preacher observed that behind them came this slow, plodding, browned creature, the weasel, moving slowly, but deliberately pursuing a rabbit. And the rabbit is running fast, straight ahead. And it was a bit curious. He said, how could the creature, the weasel, it was so slow, how could it catch the rabbit, which is so quick? Now, don't jump ahead of me with a rabbit and the tortoise story. Just hang around. How could it catch it? Well, he did some reading and he found out that weasels have an insatiable thirst for blood. It singles out a particular rabbit. Let's call him Bugs. No, don't do that. It focuses on that one rabbit and persistently pursues them, follows them, follows the trail, never loses the scent. It's generally a long trace. The rabbit sprints ahead and stops and rests and then dashes off somewhere else and stops and rests, dashes off, pauses at the hole of the mouth and the weasel just keeps coming. The weasel will, in fact, even pass other rabbits on the way, but it doesn't want them. It's not their turn. He wants that one. And so he continues to pursue it. Um, the chase goes on. The weasel never turns aside. The rabbit rushes across fields and uphills and over hills, and the weasel pursues. The rabbit tires, and eventually it'll come to rest, almost exhausted to the point of death, and it'll rest in the grass, and the weasel will come over the meadows slowly until it gets its victim. The law of the weasel is the law of how God works in the world with the evil. Those who are in this group, the angel of the Lord will pursue you to remove you from the earth. It's a frightening concept. You can run and run and run, but you can't hide from him. Jonah teaches us that. The law of the weasel, God pursuing the wicked to destroy them. Or the law of the waves, when Charles Spurgeon died, he was followed by another man, another Baptist pastor, whose name was Archibald Brown. And you can buy a volume of his sermons, and they're pretty good. He took his family on a holiday to the Isle of Wight. 
And while they were there on the island of Wight, one particular afternoon, there was this massive storm. The wind blew all day and the waves rose and in fact the sea started to rise and rose significantly and it was going to be high tide that night. There was a very thin strip of road between them and the ocean wall where the waves were rising and coming and out of concern he and his wife went and stood on the balcony and they were watching and in the moonlight they could see uh, rows of waves that were going to be coming and rising and they were fearful and obviously they were prayerful. And then after a while of watching it, they were there for a while. And then after a while, he simply turned to his wife and said, uh, we can go to bed now. She said, what? Destruction is right at our doorstep and you want to go to bed? He said, well, I've looked at my time and the time for the high tide has passed. The waves will come no further. Because God has decreed, Job 38, God has decreed, you proud waves will come this far and you shall not pass and no further. God has put a boundary to the waves. The law of the waves is that our sovereign God is in control. He sets the rules. He sets the boundaries. He is the one who either allows things into our life or who does things in our life. He is in control. The law of the waves, that's for the people who love and support and follow him. Or the law of the waves. Well, I better close. What do you take from this psalm? Do you need to have a resolution like David had a resolution? I'm going to commit myself to praising God every day regardless of the circumstances, of looking to him and relying on him. Maybe it's you need to taste and see that God is good. Take that risk of exploring more of your relationship and reliance on him. Maybe there's something out of the song part of the psalm or maybe there's something out of the sermon part of the psalm that you need to reflect on and to take into your life. Let me encourage you to do that, to do that reflection and that application. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Psalm 34. Thank you for your servant, David, for this experience that he had and the reflection that he gave and is now, by the inspiration of your spirit, recorded for our learning. Lord, help us to learn. Help us to take up the challenge, to taste and see to experience deeply and personally that you are good. Lord, deliver us from all our troubles and from all our fears. Have your way in our life and help us, Lord, to watch what we say, watch what we do, and to say and do all things that will please you and not displease you. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.